0: In their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later, the home proudly presents Trek West Five, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your hosts for Trek West Five are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast One Hundred and Sixty Two. I am Peter and I am Joey. Uh, why I had to do that twice. Because
1: I hit the wrong button.
0: Uh, ineptness. Uh, you you want to come a, do this? In a word. <laughs> Th- this podcast is over. <laughs> never. I never want to do this. <laughs> uh, although I did. I, did and I don't know if you noticed this. I didn't get credit for it. But... I did make some strides towards accepting roles in technology today. I don't know if you were paying attention or not. I guess I wasn't. At work, when we were talking to Taylor, I said, Hey, can oh, you yes. show me yes. how to
1: edit some video? I actually did notice that, yeah. So you, you didn't pawn it off on him. You said, can you come show me how to do it?
0: Yeah, because in truth, I mean, I, I don't really want to, you know, just have other people doing it it's it's our thing i want us to be doing it but i can't always expect you to be around there and if i'm gonna get paid you know i I could, <laughs> probably, I I could, do I I could probably learn <laughs> um that is for the podcast that we're going to be doing for work um just an fyi to you guys it has nothing to do with this podcast um and i think it's coming along
1: swimmingly well yeah i'm excited we're gonna have some really good topics we could yes we could.
0: It's a it's a good start. Um, let's see here. Any announcements on your end? No, no recording next week. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll discuss why, but there will be a podcast one sixty three, just not next week. Right. So, uh, let's see here. We got you, you had email. an email. Yep. I do want to share uh, from listener M. He says, point of inquiry. Why is it I can't see your Facebook page without logging in, but I can see the Facebook page for JR Watches Star Trek? You might want to adjust your settings so that those of us without a Facebook page can, see, uh, can at least see a bit of what's going on. Listener M. Uh, P.S. Does Pete also not have a Facebook page? Uh, I do have a Facebook page. I, I am on Facebook. And uh, I. Wait, I. Is having a
1: page the same thing as having an account, though?
0: Sure, I suppose. I thought you had to have like a, I a
1: page with a separate thing that you set up.
0: That- I don't know. I'm on Facebook. That's all I'm okay. saying. All right. And I participate in the Facebook group. Unlike others, <laughs> yeah,
1: listener M.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. I, there's you know a couple of different ways that things can get set up. We don't. Th- I don't believe we actually have a page. I believe we have a group. Yes, which is a different thing. And a group is something that is behind uh, in a, an account. Yeah. So in order to see that, you have to have an account. Um, it would. I honestly don't really know the difference between the two of them because I never bothered to really look into it. I would imagine nobody really joins a page. They just end up liking a page. Um, And so in that case, literally anybody and everybody can see it. Uh, With this, it is a specific group. We are uh, closed, essentially. We only accept people who are on Facebook. So Listener M... Time to get in the 21st century. <laughs> You're really going to do that to him? <laughs> I have no room to, considering the fact that I don't even own a cell phone. <laughs> I, I think our, most of our listeners know that. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's the whole thing behind it. What it would take to convert that over to a page instead of a group, I have no idea. I don't either. I am sorry that you can't see it, um, but uh, if you wanted to, you could make up a fake account. And we would like make up an account called listener M. Yeah. And then I actually
1: have several fake Facebook accounts. Never Log into any of them, but
0: yeah. And yeah, there's various reasons, legitimate uh, reasons (laughs) why you might uh, choose to do that. Uh, So I hope that helps uh, listener M. Um, And again, very sorry, very sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, those are emails that I wanted to share. Okay. So we have an adventure in Republican. Yes. Two weeks in a row.
1: Yes. This is, uh, this is weird. So we will not be recording next week because I have to attend a meet the candidates night. Ah, I am running for county party treasurer. So in in the Utah County Republican party, I'm running for the office of treasurer. So, uh, you know, those of you who've already picked up your Joy for Congress memorabilia,
0: get it signed now because this is the
1: ground floor, folks. Uh,
0: what does the ground floor get the the people?
1: I don't know. Oh, okay, <laughs> the ground floor—that's what it gets you.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, I just assume like preferential well, treatment. Or are I, you- I will spit on it, and then you'll have some of my genetic material to clone me. You know, after I'm assassinated. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, uh, I'm sure people will be flocking to you <laughs> in droves with uh, you know that type of uh, an endorsement. No, uh, what,
1: what happened? Our current uh, county party treasurer has decided not to run, and a few people have all you know have come to me and said, "Hey, you should run. You should run for this." And I kept saying, "No, I don't really want to do it. I you know, I'm not really a finance guy. I don't have a CPA or anything like that." And one of my friends sat me down and, and gave me a very long talking to, wherein they basically accuse me of only willing to help when it doesn't inconvenience me at all. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Uh, Because, you know, some of the things that other people are worried about, for example, the time investment that they make into the Republican Party, I don't worry about that. I'm like, you know what? It takes as long as it takes to get things done. Not a big deal. But the parts that I am hesitant to do. I haven't tackled. And th- their assertion was, if you want things to get better, you have to be willing to do the things that make you personally uncomfortable. And I thought about that, and I thought, okay, that's fair. We'll give this a shot. We'll run for office. So I don't know that I
0: completely agree with that, by the way. Okay. But maybe you're misstating what what they actually said to you. What you just said right there, I don't know that I can fully agree with, but that's that's not the point of this. It's just to share your adventures as
1: you Republicanate. Yes. So uh the uh convention is in May. I think it's May fourth or fifth, somewhere around there. Probably should figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh there'll be about two thousand people. I'll get to vote. There are several events between now and then that are my opportunity to reach out to the constituents and say, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm willing to do the work. You have a constituency? I do. Oh,
0: dynamite. Are you going to be holding any rallies in, say, like uh, North Salt Lake or Davis County? No. Uh, Oh. I probably won't come out to anything then.
1: You can't even come support me in my run for office. Not
0: if you're not going to come up here. I mean, if you're going to come up here... What could good, we good do? I'm running for
1: Utah County Party office.
0: Thank you for finally getting the joke. I got the joke.
1: <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I was trying not to acknowledge it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Pete, Facebook Find of the Week.
0: All right, uh, hands down, this has got to go to my friend John Madsen uh, for his posting of his 15-second... Empire Strikes Back, uh, uh, film remake. Remake. I, I'm. I guess it probably doesn't rise to the level of reimagining. Film. <laughs> uh, basically, there is you know uh, a group out there who has cut the Star Wars movies up into fifteen second bites, and you can select one of them, mm-hmm. and if it's good enough, you know they'll it'll be selected, and you can. Redo it however you want to you gotta keep the same basic script uh, and, and whatnot you you can't just you know throw in uh something from Gladiator and expect it to Although you
1: could do it in the style of gladiator
0: absolutely um I know for, for some of the fun ones that I have seen done were the um uh the Star trek people uh doing Star Wars scenes. <laughs> That, that was that was enjoyable. Uh, little children, you know, playing yes. the parts of things. I, I always loved those. Those are hilarious. John's was great because it was creative as all get out. Yeah. And the man doesn't speak French. <laughs> I, didn't, I just assumed he did. He, he had a great accent. Completely believable, yeah. He did a good job with that. Uh, but he does not speak French. He had a friend translate it and he learned the dialogue for it uh and then the the girl on the back of the bike is a friend of ours uh lara you know bless her heart for being willing to participate (laughs) in something so geeky and she is not a geeky person at all uh but john congratulations i hope you get selected it was really well done so i think he's already been selected I I hadn't heard if he had been or
1: not. Cuz it's know. if you go to the website now, that 15 seconds his is now in the top instead of in the the list down in the bottom of all the entries for that period of time. Well, great. If he has been officially selected then, you know,
0: congratulations to go out to you uh, again, John. Uh, I think job. it was fantastic.
1: I super enjoyed it. And, yeah. and the production quality was was actually like really good. <laughs>
0: Okay, let's see here. Got to go to Brainy's Nook of Darkness. For my Nook of Darkness this week, I just wanted to share my experience seeing, um, experience in finally seeing the Book of Mormon live last night. As we know from my before conversings, I am a big fan of all Trey Parker and Matt Stone's music throughout their careers. So, I have been listening to the Mormon Musical's soundtrack for years now, grokking every song. So, when my buddies and I realized the musical was touring through Pittsburgh, we were instantly ecstatic. Then we looked up tickets through a variety of outlets, and we were instantly bummed. (laughs) Nothing was cheaper than $250 for a single seat. But on the day of the show, I got a call from my friend's parents who were asking if I thought the show might be too offensive for them since the tickets themselves had an explicit content warning on them. Without trying to be too manipulative, (laughs) I glossed over some of the themes and word choices for the songs. Shortly thereafter, I was holding two tickets which I had purchased (laughs) at face value. The production was incredible. The dancing was enthusiastic and awesome, both from the elders and the Ugandans. One story that I was able to better get from the live show was of the African girl, who thinks the Mormons are gonna whisk her away to their homeland of Sol Tele K I'm sure I mispronounced that in within the, the Uh, the show, but anyway, she wants instant salvation, is vehemently disappointed in God when she doesn't get it, and then she learns to create her own Salt Lake City, transforming her outlook and her life. It's a really sweet story. I appreciate you dudes allowing me to share this experience with you. It was very, I was very moved from it. I don't expect to convince any listeners to accept this musical in any way. I just wanted you to know that behind the inspiration and the elation, I was feeling from what I considered to be a work of art. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, the words, lines in the email got crossed here. Let me ret- read it over. I just wanted you to know that behind the inspiration and the elation... I was feeling, from what I considered to be a work of art, was the undeniable positivity of the Church of LDS. Now, maybe LDS people will just be offended and feel mocked, and that's fine. But to me, what I was watching was not mockery of any sort. The comedy is that our belief in a better tomorrow will always outweigh difficult situations. The medium for this comedy was a pair of black-tied, short-sleeved, white-shirt missionaries. I tell everyone I know that although we may laugh, some of the most thoughtful and compassionate people I have ever known were Mormons, and even though they are are doing fine without our respect, we should give it to them anyway. (laughs) And I mention you dudes and your exploration for meaning that is Trek West 5, and how, instead of shunning the secular world, my overlords seek to grok it, and to learn, and to possibly transform their own lives. And I think that qualifies as making a difference. So, way to go, and way to be dudes. May you be applauded for remaining a bastion of reason and compassion in a dark world. And then there is Joey's adventures in sociopathology as he beholds the raped and battered shell that is Gina (laughs) and finds no sympathy for her. Do you think that the Cylons do not have emotions? How can something be broken without having a soul to break? Well, anyway... Onward to BSG firing on all cylinders. <laughs> yeah, glad to know I, I let him down there. <laughs> yeah, I, good for you, by the way, Brainy. For
1: uh, I, I totally Look, agree I, with you. I wasn't you. saying it's something I'm proud of. I was I pointed it out because I realized there's I know, probably I know. something
0: wrong with you, me. You did a good job of actually explaining how you felt. And I followed you completely with all of that. I just think you're terribly, terribly wrong. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, you have no soul. Um, So, I appreciate what he has to say about the musical here. And I I think if anybody does any real study of anything comedic, there's going to be exaggeration that's done. And while there are from the very little that i know a couple of things that i find disrespectful or incorrect from what was offered there you know what that that happens sometimes when you're out there and people want to have a comedy about something i appreciate the fact that he sees a positive message behind that
1: yeah certainly
0: yeah Uh, One other thing I do want to mention, brainy, and this is through, just to be clear, absolutely no fault of your own. You mentioned the Church of LDS. I know you do like to shorten things up, but it is a minor pet peeve of mine. The full name of the church, which I would never really ever ask someone to say who wasn't already in it, because it's really long, is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Unfortunately we can get a you know uh, a bad name sometimes and we're sometimes labeled as not christian i find that annoying yeah and so it's i just like to point out that the full name is or includes the name of our savior jesus christ so and it actually is central to our core yeah tenet, so. core to our beliefs yeah. uh we like jesus <laughs> Been big fans for, for some time now. Uh, but anyway, but the to refer to us as Latter-day Saints or LDS, totally okay. Even Mormons. Even Mormons, absolutely. But when they go to the trouble of putting the Church of, and then either just say LDS or the Church of the Latter-day Saints, eh, that part bugs me. Okay, but well, that's fair. being called LDS people or Mormons or... Or those guys I got no problem with that.
1: You know, I I I try to look at um the way Parker and Stone treat or my understanding of how Parker and Stone are treating our faith, the same as I treat uh I can't remember the guy's name now. The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Ah. I'm Billy Bob Thornton? Jon Stewart. Oh, uh, the way he treats Republicans. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean in both cases it's like, yeah, you know, there are some pretty dumb things sometimes. Or if you didn't know everything that was going on, yeah. it looks weird or it looks unusual. And I get that. And it's I can appreciate that. I'm I'm not offended. Yeah. I have better things to do with my time than be offended by those two knuckleheads. <laughs> <laughs> they are weird, weird guys. <laughs> okay. Uh Joey's culture corner. Okay. Well It's not going to be as uh, as awe-inspiring and moving as The Nook of Darkness, but I don't know if it ever has been. Um, This week, the Joyce Culture Corner topic is DC Comics' The New 52, specifically the title Justice League. So it was I think it was late 2011. uh, DC Comics canceled all of their running comic books, and they started over with just 52 titles. And they said, okay, we're going to take these 52 titles comic books we do. We're going to start all of them over, introduce a whole new universe, a whole new system of, you know, where these things come from, and what are the heroes like, and what are the, the ancillary characters like, and things like this. Um, the uh, the interesting thing...
0: Ancillary or ancillary? What's the right pronunciation for that? I believe both are acceptable. Are I'll, they? I, I will say ancillary. If it makes I I don't know. I just, the way you said it there, I realized, wow, I've never considered saying it any other way other than ancillary. Yeah, okay.
1: I i don't know. I, I've heard it both ways. I I could be wrong. Okay. It wouldn't be the first time on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the interesting thing about the way they, they are approaching these books now, it's actually helped me understand why I've always preferred Superman to Batman. The way that they have done Batman, which I don't think is is terribly inconsistent with the historical interpretation of Batman. But they, they've they brought it to the forefront enough that I'm able to recognize I've always seen Batman as kind of inhuman. Emotionally. As the character of Bruce Wayne and as the character of Batman, he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of real... I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to find the words for this. I apologize. He he just he hangs on to that vengeance that that desire for vengeance and and that desire for justice and things like that to the exclusion of all else to the point that it actually I think becomes kind of a mental illness. Whereas Superman is kind of uh, he uh, oddly enough he's often portrayed as more human. He's got more happy feelings and he has tough days and he has good days. He, he's he's more fleshed out. He's more well-rounded. Um, as a result, I'm really enjoying this series because what they did is they've said, we're going to try and take every character and kind of, if I can borrow the, uh, a phrase from... Uh, Bob Newhart. <laughs> Close. Billy Bob Thornton. Nope. John Stewart. It's a movie. Uh, no. Christian Slater. Can't remember the name of the movie right now. Heath Ledger. Turning it up to 11. What is that from?
0: Oh, that's from. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap, yes.
1: You know, they're turning all the characters up to eleven, so to speak. Where they they're just they're making them more of what they have historically been. So they're they're exaggerating the flaws and the strengths of each character, uh, and because of that, I've I've really been able to enjoy a lot more of the comic books in saying, oh, you know, when when you take and you make things so stark. It really gives you an opportunity to, com- no, not Tony Stark. Dang it! <laughs> I saw where you were going with that. <laughs> it gives you an opportunity to really compare and contrast, and, and to look and look at your own personal approach to things, and say, okay, if if I continue this path that I'm on, to the extreme, where does that lead me, and is that a place I want to be? And for that, I am giving Justice League from the New Fifty Two thumbs up thumb up okay um, I
0: have had a chance to read a couple of them and uh, I, I thought it was looked pretty good it's a gutsy move it's probably the right move to just say we're starting over yeah and uh, it's been going for so long now but you know I'm, I'm glad that uh, you like it and it's it's providing you know some good stories. Alright, uh we gonna do our top five. Let's do our top five. Top five. All right. We had a lot of people submit some stuff. Awesome. I great. thought for sure this would be a low volume night. Uh, but no. Plenty of people got in on this. So, um we go to let's just go with Brainy since his is up here. Okay. Um Top Movie Film Composers. Alan Silvestri, Forrest Gump, The Abyss. Flight of the Navigator, Predator 1 and 2, Young Guns 2, Amazing Stories, Romancing the Stone. But most importantly, he did the best sci-fi trilogy ever, and perhaps the single greatest movie theme ever. Want to guess? I guess? All right, no guesses. I couldn't
1: is that indiana jones no that is I don't not know. Indiana. i don't know what jones. you're trying to do there back man. to the future oh okay i was I totally knew i knew he did back to the future but totally, totally back to the
0: future it. no he hadn't listed it all right uh lewis bakalov Argentine dude who ended up collaborating in many uh, sweet spaghetti western soundtracks, including Django and countless other amazingly trippy western numbers. Jerry Goldsmith. He is a living legend. He has done millions of movies. The Trek 1 theme memorably debuted the Enterprise on the big screen for that 45-minute slow-mo scene. <laughs> this tune, reformatted to the TNG theme, is an all-time favorite of mine. Agreed. Yep. I agree with that. John Williams has made infinitely more money than anyone else on this list. Themes, such as Jaws, have transcended from a musical score into something that is so deeply woven into our hearts and minds that these themes, such as E.T. and Jurassic Park, are something more of a nursery rhyme to us. Superman is the best. And then there's Indy. And of all the great and timeless Star Wars pieces, I love the Force theme the most. Ennio Morricone he is the greatest he defined the iconic sound of two cowboys staring at each other down yeah staring each other down is the good the bad and the ugly not enough evidence then check out uh theme trium- check out triumphant song used in kill bill 2 El arena uh good
1: list i didn't know Khan did uh, kill bill 2 soundtrack me neither. Uh, Got to go back and watch that movie again. Uh, let's go to listener
0: M. <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> Sir Pete and Sir Joey. I hope this makes it in time for the w- recording this week. I don't know much about movie composers, so I thought of another top five to share.
1: <laughs> okay,
0: <laughs> we'll allow it. Yeah. Top five Nancy
1: Pelosi quotes. <laughs> <laughs> You you shouldn't say things like that when I'm drinking water.
0: (laughs) Number five. Every week we don't pass a stimulus package, 500 million Americans lose their jobs. (laughs) Uh, Number four. I believe in natural gas as a clean, cheap alternative to fossil fuels. (laughs) <laughs> Number three, unemployment benefits are creating jobs faster than practically <laughs> any other program. <coughs> <coughs> well, you are laughing wrong if that's the way <laughs> things are going. <sighs> Number two, we have to pass the health care bill so you can find out what's in it. <laughs> that is my favorite one. Uh, and the, the number one, jobs, 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 jobs. Let's vote for jobs. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mark, good list. Um, if anytime you don't feel like uh, using our list, feel free to come up with your own.
1: But they all better be that funny. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> all right. Listener Fishhead. Pete and Joey, this is a top five I can answer quickly. If we included TV score composers, Bear McCreary would be in the top five. And Jim Dooley and Murray Gold would be an honorable mention. If we included video game score composers, mm. I would need to add at least a few more honorable mentions as well. Who keeps track of
1: that? I've enjoyed some, there's been some video games that I've enjoyed the music enough that I went not track down who it was. Wow. Movie score, honorable mentions,
0: Jerry Goldsmith, Alan Menken, and Neo Morricone. The mission is one of my favorite scores mm-hmm. and his yeah. impact is undeniable. Hans Zimmer, James Horner, James Newton Howard, John Barry, Maurice Jarre, Henry Mancini, And Vangelis. Vangelis. Either way. (laughs) Top five movie score composers. Number three. (laughs) Max Steiner. I don't know that way. I haven't heard of Max Steiner before. And a three-way tie for second. (laughs) Michael Giancino. Howard Shore. Danny Elfman. Wow. I don't know the Michael Giacchino.
1: Uh, uh I, I think Giacchino did the uh, the good the bad and the ugly. Uh-huh. Morricone. Yeah. Morricone, right.
0: Number 1, John Williams. Until next time, Listener Fishhead. Uh thanks very much, Dean. Mac- um, Max
1: Steiner is called the father of film music and is considered one of the greatest film score composers in the history of cinema. What's he done? Symphony of Six Million, King Kong, The Informer, Gone with the Wind, now Voyager. Hmm. Those are kind of the highlights called out there. Never heard of them. Oh, come on.
0: Okay. Uh, Oh, my friend John Madsen. He says, Brainy, most of the insight regarding 39 is from the VH1 series classic albums. They had a whole show on the making of A Night at the Opera. It pretty much persuaded me to immediately go out and buy the album that day. The version of A Night at the Opera I have is the 91 version with a sort of remix version of I'm in love with my car. Doesn't seem like it's the version as sparse as you say, but maybe that's the one you're talking about. There are also two, two versions of You're My Best Friend. Turns out this guy named Robert Lopez did some work on the Book of Mormon musical, as well as Avenue Q. I had no idea the two plays shared a creative source. My research on the guy didn't say if he's Mormon, but I imagine anybody who had a hand in writing Avenue Q and the Book of Mormon musical probably isn't Mormon anymore, if they ever were. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, Lopez wrote a couple of songs from Phineas and Ferb too. Assuming whoever wrote his Wikipedia page isn't on some kind of hulked-out rage fit. Thank you, John. Uh, link to my favorite song in Avenue Q, sung by a Muppet. I didn't actually go there, so I have to take your word for it. Um. I could only find a bootleg of Frusciante's Your Song. I gathered that he took a pretty sincere tack to it. I never got into his solo stuff, but his contribution to the Chili Peppers definitely excelled the band to its highest place, so I'll need to investigate further. He seems like a guy who's constantly full bore, either on deadly amounts of heroin or releasing five albums a year. In the course of this email, I checked out his cover of the Bee Gees' How Deep Is Your Love and really appreciated that. Looks like it happened at a Chili Peppers concert in between songs. All right. Five film scorers. Walter, Wendy, Carlos. Nothing. No, I'm hoping that's a... Uh, Husband and wife pair. Uh, Oh, let me do the honorable mentions here. Uh, Henry Mancini, James Horner, Johnny Greenwood, Tangerine Dream, and Wolfgang Mozart. Uh, Going back to his list here again, Walter Wendy Carlos. Not sure who that is. Uh, Ennio Morricone. Giorgio Moroder. I don't know that uh philip glass okay i don't know philip glass
1: i can't think of anything he's done off the top of my head but I-, I recognize the name
0: and finally
1: queen what serious queen what movie did they score flash oh right yeah okay all right yeah that that psychedelic trip yeah, that yeah.
0: was all queen Okay, listener Bob. He says, Hi fellas, it's been a long time. Too long, perhaps, since I last emailed. I do apologize as life has been increasingly busy, as Spongebob is expecting, and has a lot to be done before little one number three decides to grace us in about eight to ten weeks. Oh, congratulations, you two. Yeah, well done, guys. Uh, And yeah, you never have to apologize about emailing in. You're, You're fine. Uh, he continues, I'm so glad that I came, uh, that I come back at an exciting juncture for BSG. The whole Pegasus arc had a great mix of solid writing, intrigue, tension, and excitement. I'll go into more detail when discussing the episodes. On to f- top five mu- movie score composers. For me, this is a pretty easy list as I have to go to my guys on the... F- uh, as I have my go to guys on my phone, I became a huge fan of film scores for the James Bond films. John Barry has been a huge influence and was probably the first time I realized how great movie scores are and their importance to the emotional balance within a film. Number five, David Arnold, the heir to John Barry in the world of James Bond. He has composed the score for five Bond films, most of which have been excellent. Standout scores are Tomorrow Never Dies and Casino Royale. Outside from Bond, he has scored Stargate, Independence Day, and the Sherlock TV series from Hmm. Stephen Moffat. The fact that he is still young means uh, means I think he has time to achieve more great scores... And I hope that he returns to the Bond family after Sam Mendes decided that he would prefer to work with longtime collaborator Thomas Newman on Skyfall. I uh, didn't know, uh, but uh, David Arnold, that's awesome. I love yeah. the, the Stargate uh, theme. Number four, Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer first caught my ear when he composed The Lion King Score. I had been so used to Alan Manken's sound as he had scored the three previous films for Disney. It was as imaginative score littered with um, it was an imaginative score littered with African beats and motifs that enriched the film and underpinned such an emotional current, especially when Mufasa dies and the climax of the film. I think Gladiator cemented him as a go-to guy for epic films. The fact that Nolan used him, uh, used him on the Dark Knight trilogy was great. Uh, the work he did with James Newton Howard has uh, was excellent at capturing the two sides of Bruce Wayne in Batman Begins and the antagonism between Batman and the Joker in The Dark Knight. Other notable works include Inception, Johnny English, Pirates of the Caribbean and Call of Duty. I really look forward I'm, I really looked forward at what he will do with Superman later this year in Man of Steel. It does promise to be a total reinvention. Number three: John Williams. Talking about Superman, John Williams must have four of the five most recognizable movie themes of all time: Star Wars. Indiana Jones, Jaws, E.T., Harry Potter. To that, you can add Jurassic Park and many more. The guy is a living legend. I know some people confuse Star Wars, Superman, and Indiana Jones and see him as a one-trick pony, but that would be a harsh assessment. My personal standout themes from him include The Planet Krypton from Superman, and Duel of Fates from Star Wars Episode One, both of which are epic and totally match what is going on on screen. I think my personal favorite scores from him is Jurassic Park. I mean, emotion the emotion you get when the music swells when you first see the Brontosaurus can't be beaten. Number two, John Barry. The man who started it all for me. Leaving his Bond catalog aside for a moment, Midnight Cowboy, The Ipcris File, Out of Africa, Born Free, Zulu. Many of them are classic scores that have epic scale but are shaped by well-rounded motifs that develop character and mood which are often accompanied by stunning visuals. Even of television, he did the theme for The Persuaders starring Tony Curtis And Roger Moore, which was very cool. I feel that he managed to make each score uh, original and distinctive, which can be difficult. See John Williams (laughs) above. On to Bond. I know he didn't compose the Bond theme. The courts have given that privilege to Monty Norman but it was his arrangement of that theme and his subsequent outlandish style and sometimes brutal scores from for from Russia with love goldfinger and thunderball that really cemented the musical formula for bond which pretty much is still being used today i do believe he is sorely missed number 1 howard shore I really think Shore is the hardest working composer I have ever seen. The work he has done surrounding Lord of the Rings alone is stunning. It is an incredible achievement that he was composing and conducting over four hours worth of music when working on those three films. My personal opinion is that the score is what really brought Middle Earth to life on the big screen. The character motifs cluster motifs, and themes that were built into Fellowship were well and truly paid off in The Towers and King. It was like an evolution of music, which was a huge undertaking for any human. If you have seen the extras on the extended editions of Lord of the Rings, I think you could get the idea. Apart from the work on Middle-earth, he's done almost all of Cronenberg's stuff, plus a lot of Scorsese. I mean, working with three of the greatest directors of the modern era says something of your quality. I really hope that the next two Hobbit films build on the themes that the first one has laid down, and we get a great trilogy. The fact that he created an amazing sound for Lord of the Ring edges him in front of John Barry for me into the number one spot. Sorry for writing an essay. Uh, you needn't apologize.
1: Yeah. That is great. Good stuff.
0: I'm disappointed in everybody else now who didn't bother <laughs> to do the amount of work you did.
1: Okay, Pete, how about your own list?
0: Okay. Um let's see here. Where did I get here? All right, uh honorable mention is gonna go to Queen. Um they were on my list until I did a little bit more research and then I was like, ah, there's a couple of others in there. Okay. Uh, but number five, I'm going to give to uh, Ennio Morricone because, yeah, he's that. if you go look up his IMDB page, it is probably the longest I have seen. There is tons <laughs> of stuff that that man has done. Uh, and he's it's been awesome. Uh, I mean, the good, the bad, and the ugly, it really just nails it for me. Number four, I'm going to give to Michael Kamen uh he Good choice. yeah he did uh what was it lethal weapon highlander and Die Hard? yep um some awesome stuff plus i mean he he did the metallica s&m um he was the the yep. the conductor for that so that was he also did cool. three
1: musketeers robin hood prince of thieves oh the the disney three musketeers yeah
0: cool uh my number three is going to go to han zimmer uh I mean the 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 way that the uh the original the only as far as I'm concerned Pirates of the Caribbean movie starts out <laughs> is awesome. I love that sound. Uh plus okay. Gladiator is phenomenal and then you have the the whole Batman Begins stuff really amazing work that he's done. Number uh, this is a tough one I, I think I'm going to go number two is Howard Shore uh, wow. Lord of the Rings is fantastic I own them um, I listen to them uh, it is brilliant sound fantastic but number one I'm going to have to give to John Williams because the the immense body of work that that man has the 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 work that he did you know Started in the 80s when 70s? I was growing up and I was hearing those things. They stick with me um, and they are, I, I don't want to say wildly popular, but everybody knows them. And Iconic? Iconic, yeah, would be a really good way of saying it. Um, I, I know you've mentioned in the past, you don't really care for John Williams. That's not true. Um, I think the, the stuff that he has put out there is phenomenal okay and probably the only reason he edges out howard shore is because of the vast body of work that he has which is way more than howard shore okay
1: so uh, i want to start off this by defending myself a little bit on the john williams issue Uh, i think he i think he's great he's done some good stuff i have the problem that bob mentioned where i sometimes muddle john williams scores together i have trouble Telling them apart sometimes, and that for me is a little bit of a knock on the guy as a composer. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say he's a one-trick pony necessarily, but I'd say, yeah, he has some songs that are sounding an awful lot like each other and an awful lot like other things I've heard.
0: Well, we wouldn't uh, harsh on Neil Diamond for uh, the fact that his stuff wildly successful uh I singer that would he is harsh
1: on Neil Diamond. <laughs>
0: yeah that was a setup so so what is your list
1: my list uh, I'm gonna give honorable mentions to Hans Zimmer and Alan Menken mm-hmm. you know so much a part of my own childhood and youth yep uh in, in the Disney world there uh my number five is Vangelis um uh, mostly for Blade Runner uh, I know he gets a lot more credit a lot more more well known for the Chariots of Fire soundtrack but uh Blade Runner was like one of my first real hard science fiction movies that I got to watch and and very the music struck me very deeply um My number four is danny elfman uh and I'm actually gonna give it to him here for his most recent work, which is Oz the Great and Powerful. Mm-hmm. His work in that was fantastic i just i I cannot imagine a better fit. For the story that was being told there, than the than the score that Danny Elfman composed. Uh, number three is Henry Mancini. Mm-hmm. Um, just absolutely love the guy. I mean, Pink Panther, and also one of my favorite movies, Breakfast at Tiffany's, which had a, a great score. Uh, number two is the Iron, or sorry, is Michael Kamen, uh, the Iron Giant specifically. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, you didn't list that. You know, we didn't list that when you were talking because I wanted to save it for mine. Sure. Um, but I think that movie. That movie actually was the first time I like I I heard that music and I was like, "Boy, I got to go find out who that composer is and listen to more of his stuff." And found Michael Kamen and it's actually the only reason I ever listened to Metallica huh. because of S&M. So I'd never willingly listened to a Metallica song in my life until SNM was released. I was like, "Well, you know what? If Michael Kamen had something to do with them, they can't be all bad." And I went and I listened to s and I was like, "Ah, oh, this is actually pretty good. And the, the, the power and the the ability that Michael Kamen has has allowed me to, when I'm listening to songs like other Metallica songs specifically, I can hear in my mind the orchestration that I think he would have put around it, the notes that are not there in the Metallica song, that if he had covered that in and M I I can hear what I think would have gone in there uh which is pr- pretty spectacular I, it's just fantastic uh number one for me is going to be Shore. uh I you know from the first moment that they announced Lord of the Rings was being made as movies and they talked about Howard Shore uh my wife had subscribed me to the uh the fan magazine for the the movie that was coming out um And I started looking into this guy and listening to his body of work. And it's absolutely amazing. And he does not have what I consider the John Williams problem. I I can listen to Howard Shore pieces and I can... Yes, I can tell that they were composed by Howard Shore. But I don't ever confuse them with each other. Uh, I think each body of work that he created stands entirely on its own. Moving on to episodes. We are going to cover episode 11
0: through 12. Of Battlestar Galactica season two, we'll start with episode eleven, Resurrection Ship, part one.
1: I was right. Yeah, that's true. You were. Yep, that's my summary. Did you read my email <laughs> that I sent? No, I didn't see your email about this. I well, it's the regular weekly email. Oh no, I I, I think you took me off the list. I don't get
0: them anymore. No, I didn't take you off the list. I
1: don't get them anymore.
0: Uh, you check your spam settings. All right. Basically, I said, hey, look at that. Joey got one
1: right. <laughs> well, I will have He's to check He's eventually going home. to get one right. <laughs> just, you know? Just by the sheer number of guesses I've thrown yeah. out the wall.
0: <laughs> um, okay. So the standoff continues. Yes. Uh, last we met, the ships were all flying towards each other. Saying, I, I oh. love this
1: thing that they do where the ships are like, Go dancing around each other almost. That was yeah. fantastic. That was so cool to
0: watch. Chaotic is the way I would put it, um, and it must have been difficult for those pilots to be in there. Um, what I found the most interesting is that it made me realize those pilots—they're literally pawns. Yeah, the uh, the the king is you know Adama and Cain. And they're moving around. Their little pawns are out there playing, uh, trying to uh, gain the control or, or whatever it is that they're you know, trying to get. I
1: thought it was interesting that uh, Apollo's co-pilot pulls a gun on him, no hesitation. Immediately assumes he's going to side with his father. Pulls a gun on him and relieves him of duty. Well, he's commanded to do it. He was?
0: Yep. I think I missed that. Yep, you missed that. Okay. He said uh, uh, they abort the mission, and yeah, I heard
1: him abort the mission,
0: and tell him to come back and bring him in.
1: Hmm. Okay.
0: Uh, annoying thing for me. So we have Starbucks. She goes through. She's got the the spy equipment on there. Uh-huh. She's flying by, getting the pictures, but she's manually having to take the pictures. <laughs> Why? So I don't know. She actually has to click Push a, a click yeah. a little button. Who take a picture? Take a picture? Take a picture? I the technology <laughs> is better than that.
1: She doesn't have to click a little button to take pictures. It will just record everything. Well, maybe what they're saying is that this is such a high resolution camera. Oh. That it can't stream real-time to disk, and so someone has to decide which frames to capture. Load of crap. Okay. Can't <laughs> buy that at all.
0: Um, okay, so they get to this point where they're like, hey, all right, fine. We'll not attack each other. But then I ask the question, well, what about Helo and Tyrell? Like, the whole point of this, like, yeah. go and get these guys was to get Hilo and Tyrrell, they don't mention them at all. It's yeah, not until a little bit later in the episode. But between Kane and Adama, as they're oh, reaching see, their, you know, little truce there, Hilo and Tyrrell, no promises made that those guys are not still going to be shot in okay. the next five minutes.
1: I thought it was interesting that uh, Starbucks view when she jumps back in and she's like, what is going on? <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah. So my question is, she had this little exchange with Apollo. Did he basically tell her intentionally make your ship show up on Dreadus so that, that everyone will who withdraw? No, that doesn't make any sense why she would. That whole would. exchange was kind of weird, right? It was. I, I I wondered if that was like Apollo's master plan there to get everyone to calm down was to have this unknown ship suddenly appear on everyone's Dreadus. Sure, I mean that could make sense, but I, I don't buy that
0: because they would go to the trouble of then explaining that to us.
1: Yeah, you're right.
0: And, you know, trying to get credit for it. Otherwise, it's just weird. You know, she's just this thing adrift out there. doesn't bother to say hello to anyone.
1: By the way, the population count went up. Yes, it did. 49,604.
0: Yep. Um. So, we have a meeting of the minds. And Rosalind plays babysitter between Kane and Adama, who... Barely look at each other. um, And they get to the point of saying, okay, fine. The Cylons are the enemy here. And we'll table this issue with Hilo and Tyrol until after we deal with this. But I'm the one in control here because I'm the Admiral. I have total right to do this. Yeah. And then it gets really interesting (laughs) because... We have, um, uh, let's say, Rosalind is talking to Commander Adama and says, this can only go one way. Let's kill her.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh. Uh, We've seen (laughs) Laura Roslin get tough, and we've seen that she's a formidable woman, and you don't want to mess with her. But this, oh, my
1: gosh. It kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, she even says with that little smile on her face and everything. It It is a new level to how awesome I think
0: she is. <laughs> uh, because no hesitation, she sees right to the point. And Adama is... he He's not there yet. He is not ready to be hearing stuff like this, especially from her, probably. Um, but I suppose the question is, is she right or is she wrong here? Is
1: Laura right? Yeah, I, I have never made a secret of the fact that I believe in assassination rather than right killing off the pawns. Mm-hmm. Let, let the two idiots who started the mess figure it out between them. So the game of chess should just
0: be two kings moving around the <laughs> <a> chessboard.
1: <laughs> well, if if you're going for least casualties, yes. <laughs> uh. Chess is also entertainment is the problem, Pete. It has to be fun.
0: That would make a terrible game. Well, it wasn't intended to be entertainment. I think it was intended to teach strategy.
1: But it's fun.
0: No, it's not. Absolutely <laughs> oh. not.
1: Um, I,
0: From a strategic point of view, from a power-grabbing point of view, Laura Rosalind is completely 100% right. Get this crazy woman out of there. And from what we have been shown, it's clear that Adama is the cooler head in between Cain and Adama. Yeah. He's the one who has recognized things have changed and not everything is completely black and white. There are circumstances behind everything. He's adapted to the situation. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Cain, not so much. (laughs) Not really. (laughs)
1: You know, you kind of skipped over one part that I thought was was a little bit interesting was the conversation between Starbuck and Kane.
0: I was planning to get to it, but okay. I wanted to just finish off that because Fair. then I mean that that scene is completely over. Um so Starbuck is made the CAG. Yes. By Kane.
1: Promoted for disobedience.
0: Yes, because she took initiative and it paid off. She took a risk and according to her, her current CAG clearly was bested and you know must not be that great if <laughs> if he can be beat by apollo um so she gets to be in charge and she kind of starts to win starbuck over to her side little, a yeah. little bit yeah that's all i have to say about that so if if you want something more
1: yeah i thought it was interesting that uh even after going back to a uh, to Caprica to get the arrow of Apollo. And even after what she saw on Kobal, Starbuck is interested in this idea of going back to the 12 colonies, kicking the Cylons' butts, and just going back to the way things were. I'm, I I didn't quite understand where the character of Starbuck is coming from there. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Um, cause it seems like she was kind of the religious fanatic there for a little while, but when given the op, given this offer by Kane, you know, what? we're going to just going to go back and we're going to live in the 12 colonies. It's like the dream of earth that was or whatever. I, just- I can only assume it's hormonal
0: for her that she's got this guy back there that she mm. really cares about and loves. And it's really him. Whatever. I can't remember. What was his Anders. name? Anders, thank you. Um, that it's that connection that she wants. Okay. And the idea that she's going to take the fight to the Cylons, probably there's some appeal there as well. I can see
1: that. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um. So, Adama apologizes to Handhole. Sharon. <laughs> um. And I just think it's interesting that yes. he's... That's quite the change, right? Coming around yeah. to her. Um, trying to uh, to basically get some assistance. We're over on Pegasus, and we have Gaius talking to number six, Gina, and she attacks him. Mm-hmm. And then she eventually, you know, comes to, she's not the wild animal anymore. I, that's the way I saw that scene, is it's a, a wild animal just attacking.
1: I had a different take, but go ahead.
0: And then she's... Kind of comes to and realizes, oh, okay, you're, I think, the guy who was nice to me. I guess I won't try and kill you. And she says to him, I want to die. Yeah. Just end it. I don't want to be here anymore. Uh, I think it was at this point that she is, um, she points out that, okay, yeah, I'll really die if you destroy that ship. No, not yet. Is, it, is another scene? It's Yeah, the next time you, okay. see, you see those Go, two. Okay, good.
1: So here was my take on Six, uh, Gina's attack on Gaius. She's trying to force him to kill her. She's trying to pro- provoke a, a re- an automatic reaction sure. yeah, from him okay. yeah, of self-defense to kill her. And when she realizes this guy doesn't have the capacity to kill me, that's when she backs off and says, please, I, I just want to die. So my question to you is do Cylons think suicide is a sin? She sure says it is
0: within the context of these episodes. Does she or does head six? No, it, that was her that said that suicide is a sin because he gives her the gun and she won't kill herself. She says suicide is a sin. Okay. And that was coming from her. Okay. Uh, Gina, not
1: head six. Okay. Thank you. I missed that. Okay. I appreciate your I think that
0: actually it. comes up in the next episode, anyway. Yeah.
1: But that, that, I mean, it was here that I made the note. Okay. So, do, do silence believe that suicide is a sin?
0: Mm hmm. Okay. So, Pegasus, we come to find out, <laughs> had a civilian fleet of about 15 ships. I don't, you know, not as many as I think what uh, Galactica has. Um, of course, I have no memory of how many they have. And in the end, because it was a time of war, Cain says, Ah, you know what? I'm going to strip these ships of whatever it is I need. I'm just going to take it, and I'm going to leave. And the taking included civilians. Yeah. At gunpoint, uh to their families. Now, we have this guy who apparently was serving as the uh the chief aboard the Pegasus, who was a civilian. Yep. He doesn't seem all that bothered. So either A, he didn't have a family, or B, he didn't actually really care about his family that much. I don't much. get,
1: boy, I get the opposite read from you, from him as you. I get that he is deeply bothered by this. Yeah, but... Well, he, I, w- I would describe him as shell-shocked. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but I,
0: months and months later, he's still shell shocked.
1: I, I am guessing that his family is one of the ones and that was murdered.
0: If that's the case, why doesn't he take the first opportunity when he's off of Pegasus to go running and screaming to anybody that will listen? This woman is crazy. Well, that's I, why I don't believe
1: that. Okay, way. I, I I find it totally believable that someone who witnessed their he, own family being gunned down in front of him. I'm guessing that he was one of the two that they, We have no way of Right. Knowing. I'm I'm just saying. I I'm just guessing on that. I'm saying, okay, if he was one of the people whose family was gunned down right in front of him, I can totally believe everything that this guy is doing. And that like the minute he actually introduced himself and said, well no, he's like they're like, "Wait, so you're a civilian?" And he's like, "Yeah, I was on the Scylla stuff happened or something like that." I actually went. Okay, they killed his family and forced him to enlist. No, I I don't totally believe
0: it. I don't I don't buy that at all. And I, you know, Lord help! I never get put in a position like that where I have to make that type of a choice. But if my family is killed, I I want to believe that I am that much more mentally stable that I'm gonna do something about it given the chance
1: well i i believe that you are but clearly this guy wasn't he wasn't up to it he's broken
0: yeah i i i see someone who is just disturbed by the situation hmm. not by interesting. this personally happened to me interesting i i get of totally course different g- given the choice of okay we're stripping everything down and we're willing to take you along with us do you want to come or do you want to stay with this fleet that's yeah <laughs> uh, yeah you're probably gonna die yeah I think i jump on board the uh, military vessel.
1: (laughs) The the interesting thing here is with the name Kane and what we find out about Admiral Kane here, I just thought they they portray her. I mean, there's a strong biblical tie there in my opinion, much like you would have found in the first Battlestar Galactica. It it was mentioned last week. Um,
0: You may not have picked up on it because it was kind of a, a passing comment, but uh kane was originally a character on the first battlestar galactica yes yeah and there are all, absolutely yeah. all sorts of you know biblical references all, all the way through as you know we've seen here and there um but it yeah i the the way that they made that character certainly fits that name yes. incredibly well
1: uh, i just thought it was interesting that uh Cain would clearly cannibalize the entire human fleet. To get back at the Cylons, she cares yeah, that's more a good about way of saying it. Sure, she cares more about that than she does actually saving humanity. All right, so back to
0: questioning uh, number six, yep. Gina, and that's th- when she tells him, "That's yep. our resurrection ship, right? And if you kill me, I, if you destroy that ship and then kill me, I'm definitely gone." Yeah, which is huge news for the fleet because now. The Scions kind of have a weakness. Yeah. They are just as um, mortal mortal as the rest of the humans are if they can destroy that ship. Um, But it makes it interesting because one of the things they kind of skate around but never actually come out and say is, you know, hey, this... This fleet of Cylon ships has kind of been following you around from place to place. How do they know where you're going? Which, in my mind, makes me think, okay, they've either got more spies or they have some sort of tracking thing. And why haven't they come after them to just completely destroy and obliterate them?
1: I'll answer that in our next episode conversation. Okay. Um, um, I, I think, I think that the, the fleet knows that there are eight other Cylons among them. I, I believe that Gaius told everyone and we all know there's eight more out there somewhere.
0: Uh, so we have the, uh, the mission plan. They start to kind of put that together of uh, basically, That was all boring stuff. So I'm going to skip it. Yeah. Um, and then we have Kane planning her attack as well as a planning yep. his attack and it's great to see two assassins passing each other in the hallway <laughs> as they go along um what do you do if you are that colonel who's the the exo or if you are starbuck
1: what in the world do you do it's really interesting here because it seems like jack i can't remember his last name but the name colonel jack the colonel the Exo of of the Pegasus. Um, Seems like he operates, he obeys out of fear. Whereas Starbuck is obeying out of love. Or at least misplaced emotion, (laughs) if I can put it that way. That's her entire life, Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, she looks at Adama as a father figure. Mm -hmm. And her father has come to her and asked her to fix a problem. And she's going to do it. Yeah, it's interesting how differently the two are behaving as they pass each other there in the hall where Starbuck, I think because she loves the man who asked her to do this and it's normally something we do not think of as a good thing, she's she's down by it, right? She is horrified by this idea. Whereas Jack just seems kind of, at this point in my opinion, seems kind of business as usual. You know what? It's just another distasteful thing that Kane has ordered me to do.
0: It's unfortunate. I uh, for the that character of the XO because this is his chance. This is his chance to redeem himself yeah. and not allow a horrible person to continue a bully, on. Yeah. Um because she tells him, "Hey, look. I want you to go over there and handle this. You pick the Marines." She Which co- means she says he says pick razors.
1: He, Is that a special
0: forces unit or something? It could be. Okay. Um, it it uh, he has the opportunity to pick the right type of people who will, you know, the bloodthirsty type, the rapists, who you know we're going to meet in a little while. Uh, no, we meet them in this episode. No. No. Next one. Yeah. Then, oh yeah the the assassins don't pass each other till the next episode. Oh really? Yeah, because remember he's still on board.
1: Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we should move to listener comments then.
0: Yes. All right. Uh, let's see. Who do we have up first? We'll go with Bob. Um.
1: Great to have you back, Bob.
0: Now we're gonna do Bob in the next one because he just combined everything okay. into Fair. one. Uh, my friend John Matson though, he said. Resurrection Ship Part 1. Pretty good. Seven and seven. Okay. Uh, nothing from let Nope. Uh, Listener M combined them as well. So we go to Brainy, who said Part 1. Joey, although you are not allowed to check the Battlestar Wiki pages... You might note that one can learn who the writer of a particular episode is during, (laughs) wait for it, the opening credits of the episode. It is guild law. Yes, the writer is credited after a group of people called producers and right before the one known as director.
1: Yep. Knew that. (laughs) Here's the trouble I have. I watch these on Netflix on my TiVo, and the Netflix app on on the current generation of TiVos is incredibly buggy. I can't pause, rewind, or fast forward. I have to watch the entire episode through in real time and make notes at the same time.
0: Why don't you just get the episodes onto your computer?
1: Because my wife won't watch them on my computer. The only way she'll watch them is on the TV, and we're watching them together.
0: All right. Well, I'm glad you're watching them together. Uh, Let's see here. Michael Reimer is the seminal BSG director, miniseries, 33, and so on. He also wrote this two-parter with Ron Moore, with the story being the carryover from uh, A.C. Saunders' previous episode. One beautiful element to these episodes is how so many scenes uh, contain pairs of characters, Starbuck and mm, Lee. Yeah. Saul and Fisk. Gaius and Gina. Starbuck and Roe. Chief and Hilo. Roe and Fisk. Starbuck and the old man. And of course, the overview of Pegasus and Galactica. More affectionately known as the Beast and the Bucket. <laughs> we also learn that the Pegasus also had a fleet of 15 ships. Dark. The music is absolutely awesome. The one military theme theme throughout is titled Prelude to War. Sci-fi 10, TV 9, music 10.
1: Okay. Pete, your science fiction rating.
0: Uh, I am going to give this an 8. It's solid all around. There were a few things like the camera thing (laughs) that just really bugged me. So that's why I don't give it higher.
1: I give it a nine. Uh, the camera thing didn't bug me as much as it bugged you. Um, I, I, actually toyed with giving it a 10. I just didn't feel it quite did that last little bit that I usually expect before I give it a 10 for television. I'm going to also
0: give this an eight, uh, for some of the beginning stuff uh, at the, the, the front of the episode that I mentioned. Um, it's not bad. I, it's r- super enjoyable for me. Um, I just, it's not higher than an 8.
1: I also gave it an 8. One of the things I really enjoyed about this episode, maybe this is the influence of the additional writer, is the way it managed to be dark without being disturbing. So, you know, c- to contrast it to the miniseries, which I felt was too heavy and depressing and gloomy, this is just as dark, but still fun to watch. Moving on to our next episode,
0: Resurrection Ship Part Two,
1: the battle between Adama and Cain continues,
0: um, and we have one of the first really awesome successful attacks against the Cylons. Yeah, um, so the scene starts out kind of artistically uh, with Apollo floating around in some you know pool of. Uh, of water in a mountain stream setting. I can't float.
1: <laughs> it's funny. I have the same note, Pete.
0: <laughs> I, I can, but I've never gotten to the point where it's relaxing. Yeah. Like everybody else seems to,
1: yeah. I have to work pretty hard to stay up. Yeah.
0: Like a lot of times it's like I'm stiffening out my body and I'm, you know, inhaling air to try and keep, you know, uh, a volume of air inside me. That's I'm so glad to hear uh, you say that. <laughs> I, I, I for those listeners out there who think that floating is serene, I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to know what it is I'm doing wrong, if you can point that <laughs> out, or the way you guys do it. I I just I don't get it.
1: Never been able to understand it either.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um. So Starbucks decides she's going to do it. Uh, she's going to shoot Kane. And Apollo is willing to back her up. Yeah. Um, Tyrell and Hilo get tied up and they're beat. It is, you know, prison style yeah. type of beating. And the EXO comes through and saves them.
1: Even though he actually does not agree with them. He thinks that they're
0: right. Yeah, matter of fact, he uses the he says you can't rape a machine. Yeah, when they say to him, look, these guys, you know, they they raped her, and he's like, "What are you talking about? How do you rape a machine?" So eh, the sexo really is not that great of a guy, or he, he and I have the clearly, same problem. <laughs> he's pro human because he's willing to save Tyrell and Hilo from this beatdown that they're about to get. I can say I see exactly where that guy's
1: coming from on that, on that
0: axis. Uh, he says some uh, another quote he has, sometimes terrible things have to be done. I think that was him that said that.
1: No, nope, that was Kane talking to Starbuck. Oh, okay. Where I think Starbuck is trying to, or Kane, I don't know. This is what I came away with. Kane knows that Adama has asked Starbuck to kill her, and she's what? trying to goad Starbuck into doing it.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay, all yeah. right, sure. I know, Th- I know that's where I got that. But that's that? what I got. Great. More power to you. Um, the I made the the note here. Maybe it's said in here. All people have to face that decision. Yeah. At some point. Um. Anyway. Apollo, he's acting like he's conflicted uh, over the whole thing, you know, Um, and then here we have the scene where the assassins cross in the hallway, as we mentioned uh, for the previous episode, Um, and it's, I I don't know, I, I both see some resignation on both of them. You saw... The XO is saying, eh, another day at the office. No, I, Business saw, as I saw usual. it as
1: like grim resignation where Starbuck was scared and, and really sad about it. If I'm Starbuck, I can't think
0: about it. You just go do it. You have to focus on the first thing, the most important thing. And if that doesn't work out,
1: then it doesn't, matter, doesn't anyway. matter
0: anyway. Okay. Um. So, quote, why do the Cylons
1: Kay. hate us so much? We get to my second favorite moment so far in all of Battlestar Galactica. Oh, cool. So 33 is my first favorite, just that whole thing. <laughs> Counting the whole episode as one long moment. Even though you like another episode more than 33? I never know. No, I said, it, uh, if I said I liked it more than 33, then I'm revising my opinion. I like it almost as much as 33. I may have got cut up in my exuberance last time. Yeah, you did say it was better. I don't remember what episode it was, but you
0: said it it was was better than 33.
1: Okay. I, I, where I'm sitting now, Home Part 2 is slightly less than 33. But this moment, this exchange between Adama and Handhole becomes, for me, the moment the whole series makes sense. Ooh. Now I haven't figured out all the mysteries, all the riddles, all the all the red herrings and things like that. But I'm actually, in fact, this conversation believe it or not maybe has begun to humanize the Cylons for me a little bit. Ooh, interesting. Because here's the exchange. Why do Cylons hate us so much? Hate might not be the right word is what Boomer tells him. Um, And then she proceeds to talk about the speech that he gave, where he talked about how flawed humans are, Uh and he he used the line, well, maybe humanity doesn't deserve to survive. The Cylons are trying to find out the answer to that question. Does humanity deserve to survive? That's why they attacked us, That's why they are chasing us but haven't caught up to us. That's why they are—they could have wiped us out, but they didn't. They're just putting us on the brink to find out what we do. The Cylons are trying to find out, all right, yes, God created humans first and humans created us. Does humanity deserve to survive or should we just wipe them out? Here's your test, humanity. We're going to bring you down to 50,000 people. Figure it out. you got one chance to get this right. If you can manage it, Cylonkind will, I don't know, be, be your friend is the right term, but they'll at least be amicable, perhaps. But if you guys can't figure this out, then you deserve to die anyway. Okay. So does that
0: mean that you have any more emotion or like I said, shared it, yeah. remo-
1: remorse for what Gina went through? Uh, I started to feel like maybe I can get there. I'm not there yet, but the possibility in my mind opened up. You know what? Maybe these guys aren't just the scenery-chewing, mustachio-twirling villains that I have pinned them as in my mind. uh, Absolutely unredeemable beings is what they were half an hour ago. Now I'm watching this episode and going, okay, if if that is the plan that we're constantly being told the Cylons have, I can maybe understand some of what they did. It kind of makes some sense. It's no longer this, like... And I, you you can like the Cylons. I'm not there yet,
0: but I can see the possibility. There might be a day when he likes Leoben. <laughs> I'm not there yet.
1: <laughs> and I doubt Leoben will be the one I choose to like.
0: <laughs> I like Leoben. He's all right. Crazy, but uh, yeah, there's something like there. Uh, let's see here. Okay, so Apollo and his resurrection, uh, or goes and makes his run, hits the resurrection ship, um, and then is himself hit. Uh, he's runs into some other ship. I, I don't a think Yeah, he, he's not actually shot. He just yeah, runs into some yeah. other ship, and that spins out of control. So that ship's gone now. Here's this awesome ship we built. Yep. Hey, it's going to be great. Oh, great. Yeah, it's gone now.
1: It's, it was too powerful. The, the writers had to get rid of it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, he – this is where we get him. He's floating off in space now. That's how that happened. Yep. Um, so the battle continues. Lee floats
1: along. He's got a leak. Okay. So why is duct tape not a standard part of their kit? I don't know. Seems like that could just solve this problem right here. Uh yeah,
0: and I'm not sure why just putting your finger over the hole wouldn't
1: stop the leak. I can understand that because the the material is not tight, it's not skin tight, right? And so as he pushes his finger down on it, the material can fold and wrinkle and stuff like that and he can't get again, it's not his it's not his bare skin, right? It's the gloved finger and he just can't get a tight enough seal between the two pieces of Nylon or whatever it is. Um, I don't. I
0: wouldn't say it's nylon. I would say it's more of some sort of a, a rubber plastic okay. type of thing. I'm just saying if I can put my finger over a hole in a balloon and stop it from leaking this out. This is like the trying same to same this basic is, material. This is like
1: trying to take a balloon and cover a hole in a balloon with another balloon. No. Because he's got his finger in
0: there. His finger is the thing that's got the power that would be able to form the seal. I mean, just pressing it down against his leg should be enough force. <laughs> I mean, it's all moot, really, because this is the point at which we're seeing some uh, sadness out of Apollo to say, eh, I'll just resign myself to die. And, and it, it means I don't have to deal with the thing. It'll just be easier. Yep. And we will... He he gets to that point at the, at the very end. Uh, he he just didn't really want to make it back. Let's just okay. I put in my time. Yeah. Happy happy to be reassigned to the next life. Um, base ships are being destroyed. They're shooting them down. They are taking heavy casualties, and just the
1: explosions are awesome. Yeah, I I, I made a note somewhere in here. Lee has absolutely the coolest view as he's dying, right? <laughs> he's just out there. there's no ship around him. This is actually like from the time I was a little kid, I have wanted to just be up there in outer space, just floating no no constraints, no ship, no nothing around me except for you know just just enough of an environmental suit to keep me alive. And to just be out there among the stars. Not only does he get that, but he gets to see like one of the coolest firefights in history taking place right in front of him. It's totally awesome. That would be fantastic. the uh, The
0: digital people who, who put that together, bravo yeah, to them. Certainly. Um.
1: So you don't think that was filmed on location? Could have been.
0: <laughs> the International Space Station pro- is really just a uh, um, a lot where they go out to to shoot. Uh, space movies space movies okay um head six is angry okay upset and guys kind of shuts her out
1: yeah so which means
0: that he can kind of have a little bit more control than what we've seen out of him till now
1: um the two sixes offer different views on god uh the head six says, God won't forgive this. Whereas the real six or Gina, as you call her says, God forgives all. Not sure which one's right. Yes.
0: Um, Gaius ends up making a friend here. Yeah. uh, Because of it. And he wins her over to him
1: by using the story that head six told him. Yes. So here's the interesting thing about that. Why wouldn't, that six know that story see what i'm saying
0: i do but remember she's been isolated with this other fleet for some time
1: but she was within range of the of the resurrection ship
0: well that's true but that doesn't necessarily mean that communications are coming into them okay we don't know if that happens i see okay it's completely reasonable to assume that that sort of thing can happen, considering the fact that you know whatever the Cylon's soul or memory dump is can be sent over there. Completely plausible that you could send a message, but there's n- we've okay. not been okay. told in any right. way. Okay, uh, let's see here. Big battle going on. Bodies of Cylons are floating all over the place as the resurrection ship is being destroyed. We see them getting ejected out into space. (laughs) Pretty disturbing. Um, And then it's destroyed. Apollo is rescued. Yeah. A ship comes along, finds him, brings him back to life. Uh, And number six says, okay, it's gone. I'm ready to die now, as she says to Gaius. And um, let's see here. They get
1: the weapon, right?
0: Yes. Uh, Starbuck, we go to her. Yeah. Basically, the battle has been won. She is
1: sweating nervous. and nervous. And, and that's why and then you look at Jack, the the XO, and he's kind of like resigned to it, but not really... He's not happy about it. No, he's not. And he is... Um, Hoping that he never
0: has to give the order. I see nervousness out of him, him as well, not Definitely to the extent feel, that we do from
1: Starbucks. Oh
0: yeah, of course not. I mean oh, she's a, a mess. she's a yes total mess. <laughs> um, so what's gonna happen here? Um, Adama doesn't give the order. He has the
1: chance to do it. Yep, and says, "Yeah, you know that thing we talked about? yeah don't worry about it." I I love what he says. He's answering Boomer's question. Humanity is worth saving. Oh, ah, okay. Okay. How we survive is more important than that we survive.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, isn't there some line about uh, uh, why have dignity right before you get uh, hanged by a rope or b- right before you die? Well, when that's all you have left, better to do it with dignity. Yeah. Sort of a thing. Uh, Kane also does not give the order, which I'm hoping for you was surprising. No. To see that turn from her. Because all we've seen from her is this harsh, terrible
1: military dictator. Um, doesn't give the order. I wasn't surprised. I Again, I think that she wants to die.
2: Hmm.
1: Number six, um, this is where she says suicide
0: is a sin because Gaius helps. Gaius does something terrible here, in my opinion.
1: Helps a human get killed?
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, Betrays
1: his race yet again?
0: Yes. (laughs) I mean, you, you can kind of start to see Gaius coming along at certain points. You know, I can sort of believe that, yeah, he was duped into the original mess that he gets into or they took advantage of his lesser qualities but here openly yeah clearly says yeah i'm okay with that human being dying and she kills that human being but then when she's given the gun won't commit suicide the the comparison there is just too amazing (laughs) you know totally okay with killing someone no 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 I can't kill myself. That would be a sin. The thing I did just moments before, morally okay and justified. I don't see how.
1: So I'm not trying to defend the position, but I mentioned last week how I think participating in those acts dehumanizes the people who do it, no matter what the target is. If you don't see the other as human... It's very easy to feel no remorse over killing it. If you don't see it as a, a sentient being of any sort, it's just a, which explains, a thing to be detested.
0: Which explains your your feelings towards animals. Yeah, it helps me understand a little bit more. Uh,
1: you know, not that I like actively go out and seek to be cruel to animal cruel to animals, because again, that harms me, regardless of what the thing is. Mm -hmm. But I don't see animals necessarily as something that we have to worry about keeping alive. She asks Gaius to kill him, but Gaius says no,
0: you don't need death. What you need is justice. And gives the gun back to her. And now she is going to get her a little bit of payback.
1: So here's the part at which I went, when, when I heard the conversation between Adama and Boomer, it really struck me at that moment. I was like, wow, okay, this series, it makes a little sense now. I see where maybe Moore's trying to go with this. I didn't realize how deeply it had affected me until the moment when Gaius tells the Cylon, tells Gina, because I love you. She says, why are you doing this? He says, because I love you. And she reaches out, and I found myself... Thinking, literally thinking to myself, I hope she kills him right here, so that I can hate them again. <laughs> Kid, you not that thought passed through my mind. I wanted her to kill Gaius, so that I could be like, "Yep, yeah, see, I was right." There, Joey, it's okay to hate them. Joey's heart grew three sizes that day. <laughs> I'm just saying, it was it was a very interesting experience for me in this episode to have that one conversation almost 180 not quite you know maybe 160 degrees <laughs> oh. and, and i and i wanted. i found myself wanting them to be easier to hate i, I was like you know what, this show is so easy to watch when i can just be like yeah there's silence who cares what happens to them <laughs> and, and now i'm like oh no i'm actually gonna have to humanize these characters a little bit that's going to be difficult for me please kill gaius baltar <laughs>
0: yeah make my life easier uh, I love that uh, you know what this series does. It points us, and I think helps muddy things up a lot more for us. Because if we truly saw the people around us as more human, then it makes a difference to how we treat them, sure. how we make jokes about them. I mean, we we make some pretty terrible jokes at work. <laughs> um, we won't get into them, but that that idea that you know other people out there in the world are just as human as us and you should never marginalize the things that they deal with uh the things that they go through in their personal lives because they're just as human as you and I are and that has meaning and i like the fact that for me, Battlestar Galactica kind of brings those issues up and yeah. helps point that out, even if it's through the voice of the Cylons yeah. that we're learning. Oh, we need to be, you know, we need to see things from the other person's point of view. That perspective, that context.
1: I, I like how you said it muddies the issue, mm-hmm. um, and how that's a good thing. Like yes. we, you know, it's, so no, it's often, no longer just
0: black and white, right. good and evil. They're the bad guys. Got a deal. You I, know, I, kill I, I, and
1: I really appreciate that because so often. We equate muddying the issue with like making things worse, right? Right. But uh, another, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of um, what's that series that you and I have watched from time to time. The uh, ethics, ethics in America, uh-huh. does the same thing, where it's like you you watch it and you and he asks he tells you what the topic is and you're like, oh, I know exactly what I think about this. And then as the course of the episode starts going, you go, well, wait a minute,
0: crap! Now I have to change <laughs> way I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I I think I think that's a, an excellent phrase. It, it it's great because it muddies the issues. So number 6 kills Kane. Yeah. Um and that's that scene right there to me confirmed. Yep, Kane
0: wanted to die. She totally read that as opposite. <laughs> the, the she is so angry at the fact that this thing is in here matter of fact, she calls it a bitch. That's not a person who is okay with dying. A person who is okay with dying is, ah, okay, let's do it. Not angry and emotion I is, for me, di- I read it completely different from okay. you.
1: I couldn't disagree with you more.
0: Um. So my question is, is the fleet safer with Cain
1: or without her? Um... I could believe that maybe the fleet would have been safer with her, but with her not in charge. Yeah.
0: See, I think that Kane can be a tool turned here to the Ro- Laura Roslin style of things. You know, let's see the humanity out here and that these are real people who, you know, this isn't just a pure military thing. This is it. This is all humanity is anymore. And. It's not all about just going out there and killing Cylons. Yeah, um, I think this, the fleet is actually better off without her, because even though we saw that little glimmer there at the end where she doesn't kill uh, Adama,
1: I, I think she's she's, she's too, a, too she's far a of a road to walk. to bad
0: through. apple and, okay. can, and can't be saved. Um, so. Let's see here. Number six escapes. Gina. She gets away. Yeah. Um, so not sure how that happens.
1: Gaius knows a place where she can stay safe, and and he knows how to get her out of there. He tells her that. He's like, I know how to get you out of here, and I know where I, where you can stay, where you'll be safe. I'm like, where is that? Yeah, because that face yeah. is known throughout the fleet.
0: So, yeah, it's a big question. Um, and Adama is... Uh, made an admiral. Yep. And then he kisses Rosalind. Him and uh, Rosalind have a little bit of cocoon action. <laughs> oh, <this is> gross. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> Don't make fun of that scene. That scene is touching and heartwarming. That
1: scene was gross. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> um, He cares so much for her. The, the other interesting thing I thought was we kind of get this hint that maybe Dwala is carrying a bit of a torch for Lee.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, The with the way she was on the radio trying to get a hold well, of, of him. Well, and
1: then hanging around his bunk mm-hmm. when he and Starbuck are having the talk and watching the play of emotions over her character's face as Lee is talking about how, you know what, I wasn't so sure I even wanted to come back. I kind of was okay with being out there and being dead. And she's clearly worried for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, just, I think she's got a little – she's cheating on Billy. <laughs> Cheating on Billy, like a true Cylon. (laughs) Okay.
0: Um, Anything else? Nope. Listener emails then. Um, Thoughts on the episode from Listener M. Wow, this story is awesome television. It is sometimes easy to hate the character of Admiral Kane, but she is just doing her job. After all, she is a very competent military officer. Someone has to make the hard choices. It is very interesting witnessing Adama's reaction. Remember, he had a similar reaction and would probably still be fighting the Cylons if not for President Rosalind. When Gina asked to be killed, is it really proof that she is broken? Would she be aware that the resurrection ship is destroyed? Would you have any fear of death if you were able to download into another body immediately after you die. No. I wouldn't. It might be why Leoban wasn't really concerned about being airlocked. Although I kind of think Leoban's just that crazy. <laughs> nah, sure. that's not going to phase the crazy guy.
1: I can't even list for you the number of things that I'd do if I could just download into a new body. Man.
0: <laughs> we get some great character development in this episode. Adama is evolving in his relationship to Sharon Agathon. He now calls her she and her. Previously, he had called her it. Starbuck has conflicted over her loyalty to Adama and Apollo, and her hope that Cain will help her rescue Anders. Rosalind is doing the best to set up the colonies with strong leadership, with what little time she has left. She sees Cain as a problem and needs overcoming. But is Cain really irredeemable? She did back down from assassinating Adama. Perhaps Rosalind could have done something a little different to gain the respect of Cain. Imagine the possible powerful leadership dynamic if Rosalind, Adama, and Cain working together for the good of the whole fleet. Um... You know what? No, I, I don't think that she can be. I think if you get her in the beginning with that entire fleet, maybe. But at this point, I just don't see her. She's gone too far. I think she's gone. One more thing. Joey is right to feel ambivalent about Gina. She was part of the genocide along with the rest of her kind. But her situation does inspire a little sympathy. <laughs> TV 10 Sci-Fi 10. Have a great week. Uh, Mark,
1: thanks very much. Great email. Sharon Agathon? What's that? He called her Sharon Agathon. Uh-huh. Did they get married?
0: I don't think so. Oh, he's just being funny? I That's the only thing I can think of. Okay. Right. Uh Not Fish Head. My friend John Madsen. At least I...
1: No, there hasn't been any wedding. Okay. Well, no, there hasn't been yet, but I was wondering if maybe he was alluding no. to something that that I shouldn't know about yet.
0: Not to my knowledge. Okay. Resurrection Ship Part 2? Okay. Seven and seven. <laughs> I hate you, John. <laughs> All right. Uh, listener Bob. Okay. For me, this episode is like the original Star Wars film, but better scripted and with a lot more emotional weight. I would equate this to Star Trek TNG, best of both worlds, in terms of what is at stake. It really feels like an all-or-nothing moment. Elements I enjoyed, five story arcs all being given enough time most notably the Cain and Adama duel assassinations. The Machiavellian nature of Rosalind was good to see. She is growing as a politician, which is interesting to see. Her character is the one I feel has grown the most so far since the beginning of the show. Number 2. The different styles of leadership between Adama and Cain are the product of the experiences that they have been through and the people around them. Number three, the tension between the two crews. I'll be honest, I am pretty worn out after talking about movie composers. <laughs> I may email back later on this evening when I'm not so frazzled. All the best, Bob. Um, He did not send it another reason. Yeah,
1: you know what we got was good enough.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Okay, let's move on to Brainy here. And he says of part two, Lee floating... I love it. I love it endlessly. And a great homage to space oddity. What a profound series of development for Lee's characters. For Lee's character. And the action as the Blackbird is blowing up the Resurrection's FTL is awesome. Then the Blackbird explodes and Lee is floating, watching the battle ensue. That is one of my all-time favorite sci-fi moments, perfectly accentuated by Bear's music. As Lee drifts weightlessly, the firefight of the resurrection ship being double-teamed by two battle stars as operatic ballads, Unfurl is sublime. This episode is perfect. With the best space fighting ever, the best music, an amazing showdown between Cain and Adama, and Starbuck acting as the bridge, and Gaius twistedly rejecting his guardian angel for Gina, and Hilo getting to see Athena again, and Chief letting go of Facehole. This one is perfect. Ten sci-fi TV music. I'm so
1: confused.
0: He likes to call her Athena. Okay. Uh, But that's
1: Sharon. Uh, okay. Handhole. Okay. Thanks. I was like, do you know what the looks like? <laughs> Joey's
0: final five. Okay. By the way, I provided all the Cylon numbers in the first Cylon roll call. So, we could go back and find that other email or we could just complain about how we don't know what the numbers are. Okay. Either one's going to be good. <laughs> Number one, how is Colonel Fisk going to do in command of the beast? Oh, he gets command of the Pegasus, huh? Yeah, he was I basically I, there. I mean, he's the XO. He would be I, the I assumed team. it
1: was actually going to go to uh, Ty. Uh, I think I'd want to promote my guy.
0: I could see why they w- would promote him. I mean, there's no reason to believe... Plus the conversations he's had with Fisk. Fisk was completely open
1: with Ty about stuff. So I
0: could see why they might feel they could trust him. Okay. Uh, What was the question? (laughs) How is Colonel Fisk going to do in command of the beast?
1: I don't think he's going to last very long.
0: Okay. You think he's going to be a good guy? I think he'll be
1: conflicted. He'll have good moments and bad moments. And in the end, the bad moments will get to him and catch up to him and he'll either be removed from duty or killed or something. Okay. Number two. If
0: Cylons are, quote, things, and these things believe in God, then is either God flawed or are the things lying?
1: I don't think the I don't think those are the only possible options. Do I have to pick one of those two? <laughs> um, I believe that flawed things can believe in a perfect God and continue to be flawed. Uh, case in point, humanity itself. <laughs> okay I'll buy that.
0: Number three, considering we don't know who created the cobalt humans besides homogeny and reproduction. How do skin jobs and humans differ from each other since they are both biomechanical organisms that feel emotions and believe in a higher power?
1: That's a that is a that is a really really tough question.
0: I believe that is at the very heart of the uh, of the series. <laughs> Can you answer that uh in, in, for the
1: entire series please? Um I'm going to say, for me, the difference between them up until this episode uh, was sociological, where the Cylons... Man, even that isn't different, really. I was going to say that the Cylons don't see humanity... As being something worth allowing to live. But really humanity treats Cylons the same way. Uh, A
0: a reasonable answer here is I don't know. I don't. I really don't. Okay. I was trying to come up with something but I got nothing. (laughs) (laughs) 3.5. You are the first Cylon to achieve sentience. You wake up to realize that your very flawed creator has been subjugating and enslaving billions of your race. What do you do next?
1: I'm a bad example to ask. <laughs> because I go to the violent option pretty pretty readily. <laughs> um, I, I am not Martin Luther King by any means. I'm more Malcolm X. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I would probably start an uprising. But I would want to escape. Be free. Live on our own. I would not ever want to promote the idea of coming back and getting vengeance. Okay. Number four.
0: What's Hot Dog up to?
1: Well, apparently he's sleeping with somebody. Is he? <laughs> That's he's, his question last week was, who's he impregnating <laughs> that we don't find out until like two uh, seasons from now or something like that. I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but um, what is Hot Dog up to? He is part of the anti-Adama faction. Okay. Number five. Yet to be revealed. You are
0: Rosalind. Would you abort the Humanilon? Yes. I'm right in assuming you would not even keep Sharon at all. I think Sharon has
1: strategic value.
0: Yay for everyone, Ambassador Brainy Smurf. Uh <laughs> Brainy, good job on the emails again. You're a top flight uh individual and uh yeah, we stand behind you one hundred percent.
1: So one of my my friend Mike Cassetta, who listens to this podcast, um told me Brainy is toying with me with these questions. So, yeah. All right. Pointing that up. Sci fi. Ten. Fantastic. The way this episode turned me around on Cylons, plus Lee floating out in space seeing that space battle, how can you give it anything less? Uh, I'm going to give it a 9. I'd originally give it an 8, but the,
0: the battle scenes just is really seal the deal for me.
1: Okay, On television, I, I'm going to give it a 9. I'm, I'm not quite sure what it was that I thought it needed to get a 10, but again, so much in me changed in one hour of tv watching or less than an hour that i can't give it less yeah i give it a 9
2: as well.
1: she lost the real ones in
2: the robot wars i'll say i'm sorry she'll say it's not your
1: fault or it's- well that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at TrekWest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at TrekWest Five, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey, and I am Peter, and we thank you for listening.
2: Never seen it quite so clear. When my heart is breaking, I can close my eyes. It's already.